Well, hey, Kindred, how are you? It's good to see you. Um, if you're new, I'm Lindsay and welcome. Um, I would love the chance to introduce myself after service if I haven't gotten the chance to personally meet you yet. Um, and then if you're a regular, welcome back. I also really enjoy talking to you after service too. So if you're in either one of those places, um, please come say hi after service. I'd love to just get to chat with you. So we are in our sixth week um, of this Genesis study. And we have reached a turning point in chapter 12. Last week, Zach introduced us to a man named Abram. And if you weren't here, I wanna encourage you to go back and either catch it on YouTube or tune into the podcast. Um, Not just because it was good, it was good, but also because he talked about trust in a way I think we all needed to hear, about becoming the kind of people who trust God enough to follow him, right, to risk to go where he has called us to go, even when we don't have certainty and we don't have clarity, when we have no guarantee of where we'll end up. I think we all struggle with that. And I think we could all use to be a little bit more trusting of God right now. So if you didn't get to catch last week, make sure you do that. It was wonderful. Um, But God, he is establishing this identity for his people. He is establishing a nation that will bless all the people of the earth. And he chooses this man, Abram, to be the leader or the father of this nation. Now, this is a little bit of recap from last week, but God tells him, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. But this call, it requires that Abram leaves his home. And that he leaves behind some good things, like some members of his family, as he heads to this place that he didn't know yet, but this place that God would show him. And Abram responds uh, with this puzzling, yet albeit you know, awe-inspiring obedience. He goes. He goes and he brings with him his wife Sarai and his nephew Lot and their households. And that's where we pick up tonight, is in Genesis chapter 12, Abram is now on this journey. Now, you should know that the story of Abram is one of our team's favorites. It's one that we feel especially connected to because in a way it mirrors uh, much of our own story and the spot that each of us, me and Zach and Tommy, all found ourselves in. And it is what led us here to launch this church called Kindred. I feel particularly close to this story because never before this had I been called to leave something without knowing where it is that I was going. So when I reflect back on these significant moments of transition in my life or these seasons of leaving, and there has been many, I always had the assurance of where I was going. So when I left home for college, I was leaving my family and my friends, but I knew I was headed to Boulder. I was headed to see you, Scobuffs, right? I knew where it is that I was going to live and I knew, had an idea of what my life might look like. And when I had to leave relationships, I knew what it was like to be single. And so returning to that felt kind of familiar in some ways. And when I left coaching a couple years ago, it was to focus more time and effort and energy in, in ministry. It was something that I knew that, that had already been established. And so the leaving, it was always difficult. It always came with some sadness and some grief, but I had the excitement. I had the opportunity of where I was headed. And I could at the very least envision or kind of picture what this next chapter might look like, I always had the assurance of what I was leaving for. 
until last July. Right, last July, when it came time to leave my job, I didn't have any of that. There was no prospective job offer. There was no talk or mention of Kindred yet. I really had no idea what it is I was supposed to do or what I was going to do. And saying it now almost sounds irresponsible that I would do that in the middle of a pandemic. Now, I didn't hear an audible voice and God didn't speak to me the same way he spoke to Abram, but the conviction, right, the message that I felt convicted of was the same. Leave what you know, leave some people that you love, leave this ministry that you have called home for the last 10 years, right, and go, go to a place I will show you. I haven't shown you yet, but I will. And I think sometimes we tend to kind of glamorize these moments or we spiritualize them to this point that it doesn't really honor the complexity of, of listening and acting on a call like that because living in it doesn't always feel very glamorous and noble. And for those of you who have had to live through a season of leaving, which what I imagine would be all of us, you know it's absolutely terrifying. It can be painful, even gut-wrenching. And though you have peace about your decision, working out your trust in God in real time amongst real people in these very real relationships doesn't always feel peaceful or smooth, but it feels kind of clumsy and agonizing. I imagine that some of Abram's leaving and going felt that way. We really only get one verse that tells us he left. We don't get the verses describing all of the goodbyes he would have to say. We don't get the insight into his inner monologue as he weighs this decision for himself and his family. But based on what we're going to see in this next leg of his journey, I think it's fair to say that Abram's trust, it was clumsy and it was agonizing and it was not perfect. It was something that had to be worked out. And so fortunately for me, I only had to spend a few months in the waiting and the not knowing right before Kindred came to be and I found my landing place. But Abram, Abram will have to spend years, decades in waiting before he sees some of these promises that God has made him come to fruition. And as I thought about that, as I thought about my few months compared to decades, as I stretched my imagination as far as I could to try and put myself in Abram's shoes, I began to wonder more about what happened after this defining moment we looked at last week when he decides to go. Because as difficult as it was to choose to trust the first time, to say, yes, I will go, I think it's also difficult to keep on trusting God while he's in this waiting how does he keep believing God as more and more time goes by, as reality and doubt and his circumstances settle in? How does he remember God? And so the question then for us becomes, how do we remember God in these in-between places, in the waiting places, in these seasons where we have said, yes, we will go, but we haven't been shown where it is we're going yet? That's what we're going to look at tonight. So let's pick up where Zach left off last week. Abram has made it to the land of Canaan. And now this is Genesis chapter 12, verse 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your descendants. And Abram built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him. 
So Abram has this second encounter, this interaction with God. And afterwards, scripture tells us that he builds an altar. Now, altars were a common practice in the ancient world. They were used by all kinds of spiritualities and religions and and faith systems. And usually they were places of sacrifice. But for the people of God, an altar symbolized more than just sacrifice. But they represented this communion or this meeting with God. And they memorialized these really special, unique encounters with him. And so with that piece of context, we can now kind of understand what's going on here. That Abram has arrived here, he has met, he has communed with God, and God has confirmed that this is it. This will be your family's land. And so Abram, he commemorates this. He marks the significant moment in this journey by building an altar. So let's keep reading. It says, After that, Abram traveled south and set up camp in the hill country, with Bethel to the west and I to the east. And there he built another altar and dedicated it to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord. Then Abram continued traveling south by stages towards the Negev. So from here, things get a little bit rocky. This famine hits the land and it forces Abram and Sarai down into Egypt. And as they approach Egypt, Abram's fear starts to get the best of him. And so in in an effort to preserve himself, he tells Sarai to pose as his sister instead of his wife. Because scripture tells us that Sarai is beautiful, right? She is stunning. And so when Pharaoh takes an interest in her, this will then spare Abram's life. He won't have to kill Abram to take Sarai as his own wife. But if Sarai is his sister, well, then maybe this will actually work out for Abram. But it will mean Sarai being taken in as another one of Pharaoh's wives. So reading this with a 21st century lens is horrifying. Abram uses his wife to spare himself, and then she suffers the consequences of his actions as another one of Pharaoh's harem. It's sickening. And so while the ancient world, they might have not gawked at things like polygamy or treating women as property, these ideas that we've now rightly come to condemn, it's clear that Abram's trust was flawed, that it wavered here that he feared and he doubted that God would protect them in another foreign place. And so he acted out of self-preservation instead of trusting the God who had brought them this far that he would continue to carry them, right? He acts out of this self-preservation. And that might feel like the only option, like that is the only way to survive. But what we see is that it always leads to somebody else's devastation, right? And so in Abram's case, it was Sarai's. So Pharaoh eventually finds out about this lie and ultimately kicks Abram and Sarai out of Egypt. And that's where chapter 13 begins with them retracing their steps back to this place between Bethel and Ai. And now we're gonna look at verse four. It says, this was the same place where Abram had built the altar and there he worshiped the Lord again. And so from here, Abram and his nephew Lot, they wind up parting ways because of this dispute that breaks out amongst their herdsmen. So amongst the guys that are taking care of all the livestock, they have this disagreement. So they split up. And now I want us to jump down to verse 14. After Lot had gone, 
The Lord said to Abram, look as far as you can see in every direction, north and south, east and west. I am giving you all this land as far as you can see to you and your descendants as permanent possession. And I will give you so many descendants that like the dust of the earth, they cannot be counted. So go and walk through the land in every direction for I am giving it to you. And I, as I read this last week and this week, it kind of reminded me, I think the Lion King ripped off Genesis. Like this sounds a lot like everything the light touches, Simba, right? But that's beside the point. I'm really trying to get us to the next verse, which is Abram has, or God has told Abram, I want you to go again. His journey is not over yet. And here is how Abram responds. So Abram moved his camp to Hebron and settled near the oak grove belonging to Mer. There he built another altar to the Lord. So if you're counting, that is now the fourth mention of an altar in just two chapters. In my Bible, it's the flip of one page. And so this tells me that there is something here to pay attention to. Right? Abram regularly built altars for a couple reasons. The first was for prayer and worship. We see this a few times in scripture that it reads, and Abram worshiped the Lord, or he worshiped the Lord again. We see that he made a point. He made a point to worship where he was. He didn't ignore his religious practice or these rhythms of worship for the day he would finally see all these promises come true. Instead, we see this pattern, this pattern of worshiping, of seeking God exactly where he was of seeking God in his waiting. Now, the second is that these physical altars, they served as reminders. It was something that Abram could see and that he could touch, right? That helped him remember God, remember God's promise and remember God's desire for him and remember God's plan to bless him. So Abram made a habit of remembering God. In any new place he went, he built an altar. And it was this remembering. This is what sustained his faith and his belief. This is what helped him survive all of those years in waiting. Because we're forgetful. We are a forgetful people. We just are. This forgetfulness, it will dominate the story of Israel in these next chapters and in the next book of Exodus and throughout the Old Testament. And I think this forgetfulness also characterizes so much of our own stories. And it has me wondering if most of our disobedience, if our sin is actually usually the result of this forgetfulness. Right? Sometimes our drifting from God is straight up defiance. Sometimes we knowingly and deliberately walk in the other direction of God, sure. But I wonder if more often than not, it's because we didn't remember God. We didn't remember what he said was true. And we just didn't remember what he'd already done. And we didn't remember who he said we were. We just didn't remember God in our choices and our decisions. And so we drifted. So as a kid, when I would spend time at the beach, before getting in the water, my parents would drill me about the color and the pattern of our umbrella. Because if I wasn't paying attention, I'd be playing in the waves and I would drift miles down the beach, down the shore from where I got in. And so it was this rule that every once in a while, look for the teal umbrella. 
right? And if I drifted, then I would make my way back in that direction. When I heard Christine Kane use this analogy, I love the way that she pointed out that in the ocean, you don't have to do anything to drift. The drifting isn't what takes effort. It's subtle. And so the current of culture or of the world or of just life, it will pull us farther and farther away from God if we just do nothing. That's how drifting works. But it is the habit of remembering God that makes all the difference. It's remembering to look for the teal umbrella. So we need to regularly and repeatedly remember God or we'll drift. We'll lose sight of him, making things like trust and faith and obedience, following God, following through on his instructions, leaning our life on his promises. Those things will be almost out of reach because we won't be able to see God. So it's not God who loses sight of us, right? In our story, God has not left or abandoned or forgotten about Abram once. Not when the famine hit, not when they approached Egypt. It was Abram who had forgotten. And so sometimes, right, it's us who loses sight of God. And when we're not remembering God, we're remembering things like our circumstances, and how big and overwhelming and impossible they seem. We're remembering what other people have said to us, have said about us, have said was possible for someone like us. We're remembering our own feelings of doubt or fear or insecurity. And so in our own seasons of waiting, in these in-between places, when we are struggling to keep on believing God, when our trust is fragile, we can take a cue from Abram and start with remembering these three things, what God sees, what God has done, and what God has said. So what God sees. This is to say that our own perspective is limited and that God has the ability to see beyond just what we see. In Abram's case, what we can see makes God's promise almost seem laughable. Because what we see is a nearly 100-year-old man, and we see Sarai's long struggle with infertility. And so what we see tells us that these two, blessing the earth with so many descendants that you couldn't even count them, like trying to count dust, that would be impossible or hopeless. But God sees the identity of his people. God sees the beginning of this rescue mission God sees hope for the world, right? As these two, yes, imperfect and flawed people stumble towards trust, establishing this bloodline, right? This lineage that would eventually lead to the birth of Jesus. And so how things appear to us are not always how they appear to God. And we cannot always see the way God is working and moving outside of our immediate perspective, and so instead of letting that circumstance consume us, we remember that what God sees is beyond what you and I can perceive to what God has done. Right? The kind of trust demonstrated by Abram, it may seem irrational and irresponsible, but trust, it's not the absence of, of thinking. I think that's a popular critique of Christianity, that in order to have faith, you have to abandon all reason or you have to like turn off your brain, 
You don't. We don't have to to turn off our brains, but we do have to choose what we're going to focus on or what we're going to think about. And so for Abram, he considered the power of God. This God calling him to go had created the universe. He is the initiator of life just by breathing into the dust. And so he must be all-powerful. All Abram had to go off of at this point in history was creation, was the hanging of the stars and the moon and the mountains and this story about Noah. And from that, he was able to discern, well, if God could do all of that, if he has power over the earth, over creation, well, then what can't he do? And then I think about for us living on the other side of resurrection, We have intervention after intervention. We have from the splitting of the Red Sea to Jesus being raised to life after three days in a grave. We have all of that to look back at and go, look what God has done. Look at his power. Look at the way he comes after his people over and over. Look at the way our God can take things that were dead and buried and bring them back to life. And that is just what's in the Bible. That's just what's in the Bible. There is evidence of what God has done in the stories of every single one of you sitting in this room. If I just take a moment and I just look at who is in the room tonight, I can look at you and go, I see evidence of God's provision in some of the most desperate and destitute situations. I see evidence of God's healing in the lives of people who were trapped by their trauma. I see evidence of God's freedom from things like perfectionism and performancism and hustle. I see evidence of God's grace in marriages and in families. There is evidence of what God has done in the stories of the people sitting right next to you. And so it is not that we deny reality or we deny the hardship or the pain or the stress of what we're facing. It's not that we deny these moments of trust that they're difficult, but we do remember what God has done and what he is capable of. And then three, what God has said. Abram took God at his word. This God promised him, this God incapable of betraying himself, meaning he literally physically cannot lie, promises Abram a land of his own, blessing, and so many descendants that you couldn't even count them. And it is because it is God making those promises. That is why Abram can believe them. God has already spoken. And we're going to look at this a little bit more next week. But he has promised us things too. He has promised us his presence. That he will never leave us or forsake us. He has promised us forgiveness. That by grace through faith, there is nothing There is nothing that can separate you and I from the love of Christ. And he's promised us his Holy Spirit that guides us and it counsels us and it empowers us. And so even when our feelings would have us believing otherwise, God has spoken and he keeps his word and he keeps his promises. And so the words of God, they should have more weight in our lives than the words of our favorite cable news station. They should have more weight than our favorite politician. They should have more weight than our favorite Twitter handle. We look at what God has spoken. We remember what he has said and we let that 
shape our reality. We need to regularly and repeatedly remember God. And we're not going to do this perfectly, but especially in seasons of waiting or those in-between places, this will mean our survival. It will mean being able to keep faith. And so Abram made a habit of building altars wherever he went. This is how he remembered God. And so how will you build a habit of remembering God? You've got one down just by being here, just by being at church. This is a bit of a soapbox, so I'm going to keep it really short, I promise. But that is the meaning of church. This is the aim of a weekly service. It's to regularly and repeatedly remember God. The goal is not to entertain you. The goal is not to give you a quick fix or some self-help. The goal is to remember God. That is why we meet every single Wednesday. Because we're forgetful and we drift. We forget that God sees things that we cannot see. And we forget his power and we forget the things he has already done. And sometimes we just forget the things he's already said are true. And so church is a remembering. It is coming together to remember these things about God. And so you have one. But as you go from this place, I want you to think about and consider and talk about What's a habit that I can build into my life that helps me remember God? Maybe talk about that with someone you trust. Maybe ask that person to check in on you about how that habit is going. And then talk about if this remembering God, if this actually helps you to strengthen and build your trust in him, enabling you to keep on believing, even in seasons of waiting even those in-between places where you don't know where you're headed. What habit can you build into your life that helps you remember God? Kindred, I want to invite you to stand. We're going to pray together, and then we'll, we'll worship some more. God, God, thank you for this chance, ultimately, God, to remember you. Because by Wednesday, God, I know I have forgotten. I have forgotten that you can see past what I can see. And God, I forget about the things that you've done that I see in your word, God, and that I see in just the lives of the people around me. God, I forget sometimes what's true. We are forgetful. So God, I thank you for this chance to just remember you. God, I pray as we, like Abram did, find a habit, the way he built altars, God, I pray that we would find something that helps us remember you, God, and that that practice, ultimately, it would help us to trust you more. It would help us to take our gaze off of our our circumstances or our feelings or whatever it is that is getting in the way of us seeing who you are and where you are taking us. God, help us to trust you more. Make us the kind of people that say, yes, yes, God, we will go. And then as we wait to see where you're taking us, we will keep on believing. We will keep on trusting. God, we will remember you. Jesus, we love you and we need you. And I pray these things in your name. Amen.